Well, good morning, everyone. Um, so we don't normally don't we normally don't do this, but I'm going to ask us to do this this morning. Uh, well, well, we we kind of sort of do this, but uh, this will be a little bit different. So, um, would you turn to one of your neighbors? Okay, wait, wait, don't do it yet. Um, and would you just tell them your name? All right. So wait. So, okay, now. Um, this isn't like if you're new, you're going to stand up and then tell us all about yourself. We're not going to do that. But we do have a belief uh, that, uh, that uh, knowing one another and being known is important to us. And is, to the degree that we can do that in a space like this, we want to try it. So this may not work, but if you could just turn to your neighbor, wait, 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 turn to your neighbor, tell them your name, and then maybe tell them if you grew up with siblings, okay? Could you do that? Grew up with siblings, turn to your neighbor, say hello. Oh, I love this. This is great. Uh, Also, by the way, I just have to say, um, anytime I stand up here and ask you to do something, you don't actually have to do it. So if you don't want to do it, I mean, I guess you're like, wait, too late, Ted, too late. I just did it. But in the future, if I say and I ask you, invite you to do this, you do not have to do it. All right, now here's the second question. Uh, for those of you who have siblings, some of you are still, I mean, consider yourself still growing up, but I mean, did you get along with them? No. I mean, I just heard it from the beginning. No way did I get along with them. It, and for some of you who are maybe now um, older, uh, how, how many of you would say, my relationship with my siblings has changed dramatically since when I was younger? Yeah, I think that's true. Yes, I mean, I have three small children. Uh, they are the best of friends, and they are the worst of enemies. And I watch it happen within the space of five minutes, you know, oftentimes, or, or even shorter than that. Because sibling rivalries as a turns out actually do happen. And of course, the reason why I ask these questions is because I just want to get us present to the animus that happens between siblings, because we're going to look at like the first two brothers um, this morning. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at uh, Cain and Abel. And by looking at this rivalry, Um, we're going to find the chief ethical burden of all the scriptures. It's like here in Genesis chapter 4. By asking uh, this tidy question of ourselves, um, we will find out how best to live in the world. We've kind of been in this series, uh, uh, Genesis in the beginning. Uh, The belief is that if we talk about Genesis and we look at it and study it, we'll we'll begin to learn about ourselves and what we are made for. And so also by studying Genesis, we hope to see what the world was like before sin entered the world. We hope to see the project of restoration that God is already doing. uh, And we hope to look at maybe a practice, a constraint that we could all do together to begin restoring the world or re-edening the world as God does it. And so we're going to look at Cain and Abel this morning. So, Uh, Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. 
Now Abel cut flocks, and Cain worked the soil. Uh, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Uh, we don't actually know precisely. I mean, I read a bunch of commentaries about this. We don't precisely know why Abel's offering was accepted, why Cain, Cain's wasn't. Uh, maybe if you grew up in the church, you heard that it was the quality of the offering. So Cain offered the fat portions from some of his firstborn, or some of the firstborn of his flock, whereas Cain just offered some of the soil. Uh, we don't know if it was the quality of the offering, though, and we don't know if it was actually the heart in which uh, the offering was, was, was given to God. So we don't know if it was Cain's heart or the quality of his offering. But here's the thing that's interesting to notice. Uh, as we continue on in Genesis 4, we see that God is actually in active conversation with Cain. And so we continue on. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I mean, you can see that there's a conversation happening between Cain and between God. Uh, God is reasoning with Cain. Even though God does not look with favor on Cain's offering, I hope you'll notice in the passage, he doesn't actually judge Cain. He offers him instead. All the way back in Genesis 4, here, try again. Try again. Try again. Uh, Cain maybe was begrudging in his heart. Uh, maybe Cain didn't give God his best. But here, I want us to focus or pay attention to how God is reasoning mercifully with Cain. Start again. Start again. You can try again. And then take note. God doesn't just tell him to try again, but he also teaches Cain. So he has this living relationship with Cain where he's teaching Cain about the nature of sin. He tells him sin crouches at our door and masters us. Uh, I heard one preacher say that we often think about doing sin, uh, but part of what God is saying to us is that, no, sin actually does us. It masters us. It rules over us. Cain is meant to rule over it, but it can rule over us. How many of you have had an experience of sin doing you? So you think, I'm going to do some sin. Well, maybe you don't think that. Uh, and then all of a sudden, sin begins to do you. Sin masters you. Like white lies become compulsive. Uh, pretty soon, the lies fly out of our mouth without us intending them to. Uh, sexual addictions master us. We do things that we do not want to do. Anger takes control of us. Rage becomes a thing we cannot manage. One drink becomes many drinks. This is the nature of sin. Part of what God is telling Cain is sin is a power. Sin is a power. Sin has power, and it desires to master us, to rule over us. And of course, we know, um, as a church deeply committed to restorative justice, we know that sin, uh, as a power, can get embedded in, in, in excuse me, institutions. So 
when sin gets embedded in institutions, when this power gets intricated in things like school or government, you get things like systemic racism, which leads then to the transatlantic slave trade, which then leads to a narrative of difference in skin tone, meaning difference in worth and value. And how many of you know that we've been trying to untangle that story, that demonic story for centuries? This is what happens. Sin gets... Sin is a power in our lives individually, but sin also is cosmic. It has power, it exerts its power over institutions, and then you get things like I began to, or we begin to, we begin to like believe a story about something that's simply quite not true. And how do we get that story? Well, we got it from institutions that got embedded with sin. Anyway, the point of the matter is that Cain does not heed God's warning, and he doesn't rule over the power of sin. Instead, we know, if you know the story, uh, that it masters Cain and results in the first murder. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? So when the Lord asks Cain, where is Abel? Cain responds with a rhetorical question. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, And clearly Cain expects that the answer will be no. No, you're not. But the rest of the Bible focuses on answering the question, am I my brother's keeper? With yes, we are. And if you look at Leviticus 19.18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, be your neighbor's keeper. Uh, and then we go all the way to the New Testament. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So part of what what the Apostle John is telling us is he's telling us we are our brothers and sisters keepers. And consider this verse in the same melodic strain. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along, by the way, with persecutions... How many of you have read this verse lately, along with persecutions? And in the age to come, eternal life. And I think that we normally read these set of verses as a promise. Okay, I'm going to give up my life and I'm going to become a Christian. And, and here's what, 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 what Jesus tells us when we give up our lives uh, and uh, maybe even, for some of us, pay the cost of being disowned by our families to become Christians. We know folks like that. And here's what Jesus is saying. You're going to get all this in return. And we read it as a promise. But I think that what Genesis 4 is telling us is that this is not just a promise. This is a responsibility. Uh, with these short verses, what is Jesus doing? He is giving us the responsibility for our brother and sister and f- mothers and children and fields. He's returning responsibility back to us. And even more, consider this. Every human being is made in God's image, aren't they? Yes? 
So by virtue of that, part of what Genesis 4 is telling us is that we have a sacred relationship with every single person, and that means that every single person in every single person is the possibility of our keeping. Part of what it means to re-eden the world is to embrace this attitude that we are keepers of every single somebody. Keepers of our brothers and our sisters, which is the whole burden, actually, of restorative justice. I mean, why do we have a food pantry? Why do we have all of our benevolence initiatives? Why do we have a care center? Why do we do healing classes? We do it because we understand that the fundamental posture of every Christian in the world is that we are brothers and sisters keepers. That's what we are. We're keepers. Think about that for a moment. Think about what that might mean for, for us, that we are keepers. Maybe for the people that we pass by or interact with every day. Uh, people that we might be prone to ignore or diminish. Could it be that the people that we pass by, could it be that those folks are our responsibility? Could it be that the Spirit would lead us, might lead us to care for and interact with and be keepers of people that we don't expect? I mean, I certainly think so. Could it be that the person who lives in a tent in Warren Park might be our responsibility, maybe? Or the person who needs a place to work? Could that be our responsibility, maybe? Or the community of neighbors from Venezuela, could they be our responsibility? Might it be that the Spirit would lead us to be keepers of people that we don't expect? Uh, could it even mean that the person who annoys you at work is your responsibility? Uh, some of you are laughing because you have this experience. Uh, could it mean that, that, that the person who you don't get along with at school is your responsibility? Could it mean that the person who disagrees with your political leanings is your responsibility? I mean, like Jesus understood this keeping responsibility to be so radical, he actually said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your, anyone? Enemy. And pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Part of what Jesus is saying is Jesus is saying that being our sister and brother's keeper means even enemy love. No one is our enemy if everyone through the Spirit is potentially our responsibility. What if, okay, I'm going to step on toes here, so what if Israel saw itself as Palestine's keeper? Or what if Palestine saw itself as Israel's keeper? What if Russia saw itself as Ukraine's keeper and vice versa? What if the person on the political left saw herself as the keeper of the person on the political right? Wouldn't that change a lot? And of course, no one actually embodies this keeper attitude better than God himself. Um, and here, let me show you how God is our keeper. In Genesis 4, Cain asked the question, my brother's keeper, and here's how God responds. The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
Now you are under a curse. You're driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So remember how I talked about curses and how curses are kind of like, uh, not punishments, but they're like an indication of what reality is going to be like now that we've opened the door to sin. Remember we talked about that, how God was being gracious in the curses by, by, by explaining here to humanity, this is what life is going to be like now that you've opened the door to it. And here in vivid language, God is telling Cain, the ground opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And therefore, when you work the ground, because it is swallowed up the blood of your brother, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So what is God saying with, with that short verse? He's saying, I'm, I'm Abel's keeper. I hear the voice of Abel through his blood that you have shed, calling to me from the grave. I am the keeper of Abel. I mean, which ought to remind us that God hears the voice of the oppressed. Look at how God responds to the oppressed Israelites in Egypt. When we cried out to the Lord, he heard our cry and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt which again is the breaking into the compassion of God. He protects, he advocates, especially for the weak. God is the keeper of every able, even the ables that call from the grave. And part of the good news this morning for you and me is if you're feeling a little like Abel this morning, God's your keeper. God's your keeper. But the other stunning gospel message of Genesis 4 is that God's actually the keeper of Cain too. So, God's grace and mercy is so wide that even Cain, in his lack of repentance, uh, is the recipient of that grace and mercy. Look, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today, you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. The Lord, uh, then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So Cain responds uh, to to what the Lord tells him about the ground and how about he has to wander. Uh, the ground has swallowed up the blood that Cain shed, so it will no longer do Cain's bidding. And Cain is sent to wander, alienated from his family. And he's like, my punishment, it's too much for me to bear. And see how God responds. God says, don't, I'm going to keep you. Even though there's a curse, I hope you notice that God marks Cain and protects him. And God doesn't even just do that. He promises to avenge Cain. I hope you notice that there is a strain of mercy. And Cain, Cain did not repent, but even here there's mercy for Cain. The Lord 
is reasoning with him, talking to him. The Lord teaches him about the nature of sin. Then there's mercy in the curse. Because look how God mercifully protects Cain. What does he do? He marks him. In other words, he puts a sign on Cain to warn others away, which I read as a mark on Cain. Even in Cain's murderous rage, God wants to tell all of creation he's mine. This, is, this person is mine. In the crime of Cain, he finds mercy. And not only does he find mercy, he finds that God will protect and even mark him. Like many of us, when something is, some, some wrong has been done to us, we're like, we'll forgive you, but we never want to see you again. Uh, some of us have, have, have actually moved away from people that, that have hurt us. But here God actually says, no, 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 no. Um, you're going to wander, but I'm going to put my mark on you. I'm going to indicate clearly to everyone that you're mine. God keeps Abel. God even keeps Cain. God answers the question that Cain poses. Am I my brother's keeper? He answers it with himself. Even though Cain does not see himself as a keeper, God keeps him. You know, one of the things that we've been saying through this short series so far is we've been saying that the Old Testament God and the New Testament God are not so different after all, are they? Because we notice that love and compassion actually flow through the entire book of Genesis. And even in the face of dreadful violence, God's love and compassion show up. Even here, Genesis 4, we talk about restoration and we talk about God restoring or re-eatening creation. Well, he started doing that right away. And here, in Cain's murderous rage, there's restoration and there's grace. How many of you know uh, that God is our keeper? Would you just... Turn to your neighbor. Okay, I said I don't do this very often, but, but I lied. I'm sorry. Um, I'm not perfect. All right, would you just turn to your neighbor and say, God is my keeper. Turn to your neighbor. Here's the strange thing. I mean, how, how does God keep us? Well, here's the wonderful thing. The strangely wonderful thing. Uh, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, Jesus is called many, many things. And one of the things he is called is he's called, how many of you know that he is called the firstborn among many brothers and sisters? You know that? Jesus himself is the reversal of Cain. Jesus himself is the older brother from time immemorial who keeps us. Jesus himself is the one who is so committed to keeping that he went to the cross for you and me. I mean, the good news is today, if you come in and you feel a little like Cain this morning, the good news is that God has grace for you. Your older brother, Jesus, has broken the power of sin and death through his death and resurrection. 
And what's more, here's the other strangely wonderful thing. God marked Cain. I don't know what that mark looked like. I don't know if it was like a Post Malone, like face tattoo or something, you know, like this will hurt for like, you know, a few hours, but afterward, and also, you know, like make sure it doesn't get affected. But uh, I don't know what that was like. Okay, I don't know what that was like, but, but, but here, like the Bible tells us that just as God marked Cain, he also marked us. He marked us, as the Apostle Paul tells us, with a seal. And it was a mark that would never leave us. It was not like a temporary tattoo, you know. Like my kids are super into temporary tattoos. Which always, when I see them, I'm like, whoa, what did you do? But then I re- oh no, no, that must be a sticker. Let's go wash your face. But anyway, you know what I'm saying. Uh, but here's the thing. I mean, the Apostle Paul tells us that God actually marked us with the seal. And, and here's what, it sa- what he says in the in the letter to the church in Ephesus, when you believed, um, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. This verse is so important that, that I'd like for us to, to, to just, there are a couple words that I'd like for us to read. When you believed, can we all read this together? You were marked in him with the seal. And what's the seal, everyone? It's the Holy Spirit. And Paul then goes on to say that the seal is actually like an internal one. It guarantees our inheritance as the children of God in the new heaven and earth until the day comes when everything is renewed. Keeping might not mean that we are spared from suffering or hardship. In fact, I think it's, it's pretty clear that we will suffer. I mean, this is part of what Jesus tells us. We're going to receive, um, you know, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, and persecutions, he's like, well, oh wait, persecutions too. We're going to suffer, but, but we have a seal. The promised Holy Spirit. Uh, and that seal, the promised Holy Spirit, keeps us until the end of time. What's even more than that, the seal, the Holy Spirit, helps us to reverse the story of Cain, Uh, the seal, the promised Holy Spirit helps us and shows us how to be keepers of all humanity. Jesus himself does that, 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. And so here's the question that I would like us to consider this morning. We who have been kept by God. Who are you meant to keep? This morning. Now, we are keepers of every single somebody, but we know that keeping every single somebody in, you know, that we come up with and come across, I mean, it's like impossible. We can't do that. Only God can keep every single somebody But one of the things that the Holy Spirit, the seal in us does is he leads us to care for people and keep people that we don't expect. And so let's just take a moment. Could you take a moment? Bow your heads for a moment. Close your eyes. Might you consider that you are your brother and sister's keeper? Who are you to keep? Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring to mind someone, someone's.
Who are we meant to keep? You know, one way that I I would like to encourage you to consider this question is uh, I like to, it's hard to kind of like do a catalog of your life. I mean, especially when you get as old as me, it's hard to do that. Uh, But one thing that you can do, uh, and we're going to give you space to do that here in the next moment, is you can just consider a day of the week. So what happens normally on a Wednesday, say? And just imagine in your sanctified imaginations that God is with you. Jesus is with you. Your whole, say, Wednesday. Just go through your Wednesday and just think about all of the things that you do and all of the people that you might interact with on a regular basis on your Wednesday. Just think about that for a moment and then see who gets highlighted to you. Someone that all of a sudden is surprising that just comes out of like the woodwork, almost like as you're imagining your day comes to you like in technicolor. That might be a person for you to pay attention to. So let's do that now. Let's just take a moment and let's do that now. Come Holy Spirit. Come and sanctify our imaginations and help us to consider who it is that we are meant to keep. Maybe someone comes to mind for you. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's an enemy. Maybe it's someone you've been praying for or someone that you've never noticed. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe the person that comes to mind is someone that was closer or that is closer than a sister or brother. And this is the last thing that I'll say and then we'll close. I mean, one of my best friends growing up was a Korean immigrant kid. Another Korean immigrant kid, like a uh, that my parents introduced me to. My parents were friends with this family, and so I'd always go over to his house. He had a younger brother, and we'd always play for a long time. He always like had lots of Lego, so I'd always go. We'd always play Lego. I always wanted to play Lego with him, um, and um, I would spend hours with him at his house. He'd come over and spend hours at our house, but. We didn't have as many Legos, so it wasn't as fun for him to come over to my house. Not saying anything about Lego, Mom and Dad. I hope you don't hear that. Um, It's not too late, though, by the way. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, So one summer, uh, his parents, the difference between my friend and and myself is that we, uh, I went to church and he didn't go to church. And so one summer, his, I mean, his parents were pretty ambivalent about church. Uh, so one summer, his parents decided that they send him to the Christian camp with me, church camp. I mean, I went, uh, I was his best friend, so 
maybe he should go too. So he sent, they sent my friend and his younger brother to the camp. And uh, I was on one side. I mean, I knew all the other Korean kids at this camp, and they were on the other. They knew nobody, and I loved him. I mean, he was closer than my brother, but I didn't. What did I do when he showed up at camp? I completely abandoned him. Like, I didn't see myself as his keeper. Uh, I alienated him. Now, to this day, I don't know why I did it. I don't know if it was because I was performing for my current friends or my I don't know why I did it, but I just abandoned him. And I remember we ended up in this grisly, like, playground fight battle, like, in front of all the other kids. It was like Grand Theater, like, punching each other, and he was so mad. And, and of course, like, he, he, he loved me, too. So we were literally coming to blows because of our love. And the next morning, uh, his parents came and picked him up and brought him home. And, and then after that, our friendship was never the same. And as far as I know, I've completely lost touch uh, with him. Um, I don't know how he's doing. I hope he's okay. But to this day, I still think about him. And I wonder, like, I wonder what happened to him. I mean, it could be that you, as you were doing this exercise, like maybe you have a friend or you have a brother or a sister or a family member or a person at work that you haven't kept uh, but again, I would just go back to the merciful reasoning of God with Cain. You can try again. You can try again. You know, I think about my friend quite a bit because he's a reminder to me that I can try again and I can keep on keeping. The grace of God was for Cain to try his offering again, and the grace of God is always for you and me to try again to be our sisters and our brother's keepers. So might you consider that this morning? Could we all stand? We'll all stand. Spirit of God, you who are a seal in us, you give us power. And so I pray this morning that you would call to mind people that you mean for us to keep. Uh, But I also pray that you'd give us the courage and the power to do that. Would you help us to do that? As you have kept us and are keeping us, we are so grateful for it. Would Would you help us to keep our sister and brother? In Jesus' name, amen.